There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, we got a great episode for you today. We're joined right now by uh, Yanni, Morning. Brody, Cal, Seth, Chester. Seth's not here. Seth's not here. Good. <laughs> <laughs> And a special guest, uh, John Miller. Now, we're going to play you a, a titillating little clip here just to get you titillated. I use it twice in one sentence. Titillate. Titillating clip to get you titillated. Titillate him, Phil. We came down this path right here. I saw and two cubs. Saw cans rolling across. Text. I put a 300 wind mag in the bear's back on top. He shoots a pistol around 10 mil. Comes to me, it starts making its way. After about six rounds in it, it dies there. That was the voice of our guest, John Miller, an engineer who's uh, interesting for two reasons. One, he's involved in a, this is just this hunting season, right? It was. Yeah. Saved a friend of his who was getting mauled by a bear hunting in Wyoming. Um, and here's the other reason you're interesting. You're friends with my friend from growing up, Matt Millard. Yeah, it's a weird coincidence. He he he's probably got, he's in a weird spot when he gets asked what he does. Why is that? Because 
I hate talking about the brother while he's uh, not here. If you're engineering a part and you need to know how it's going to hold up over thousands of hours of use and abuse, he makes equipment that mimics abuse, like automotive, aerospace, makes equipment that mimics the abuse. So you can put the part in a room, turn the abuser machine on, and vibrate it at certain frequencies, and then watch what will happen. Right? That, that's correct. That's actually how we know each other. We work in the same industry. Vibration technologies. Uh, we're, my company's a little more general, but yes. Whose company's better? Uh, well, of course mine. Yeah. Dewey Soft. I want, uh, I'll, you know, I, I always liked Matt Millard a lot growing up. And um, you know how later in life you look back on dudes from growing up and you sort of have realizations about them that you didn't at the time? You just thought, like, a nice guy? I'm telling you, and I can't say this about myself, and I can't say it about most people. If I review, I don't think that that man ever uttered a negative word about anybody. And to say that coming out of junior high and high school? That's impressive. Just an honorable guy. Certainly. Um, he's the one to introduce us, right? He is. Shout out to Matt Millard. If you want to find out what some of your shit's going to do and it vibrates real bad, call Matt. <laughs> He'll build a machine for you. Do you want to say what company you work for <clears throat> to plug it? Get sure. Some, drive some sure. business? Why not? What is it? Did you go to the same school Matt went to? I did not. Oh. So, um, Where'd you study engineering? Uh, I studied in South Dakota State okay. for my undergrad, and then uh, I got my uh, graduate degree in University of Minnesota. Um, but the company I work for is uh, Deweysoft, so we make test equipment for all sorts of um, R&D, specifically in the automotive, aerospace, oh. and uh, uh, defense, power and energy type markets. Did you, uh, when you went to graduate school, did you get a master's degree or a PhD? Uh, I got a, a master's degree. Okay, yeah. So. Usually if you get the PhD, you kind of end up there forever. And I'd, be calling not doctor, I'd be calling you Dr. Miller right now. <laughs> okay. Before we get back to this uh, real interesting hunting story, um, got a couple things to cover off on. Once, uh, Chester, I know Seth's not here right now, but I was going to, there's something I want to like, oh, call him, call, you know what? Call Seth up. Is, I, he, is he available? Yeah, he's available. Should I throw him on speakerphone? Please. Or? I just want to yeah. tell him something. All right. This is about Seth's upcoming wedding. Up, Chester. Seth, uh, can you hear me? This is Steve. Oh yeah. You know how I got to become a? I need to become a minister to to do your wedding. Yep. I was reading up on that. It's real easy. Um, I can't remember the name of the church, but it's like the some church out of Seattle. I'll become ordained. It takes about three seconds. But you know what I was reading in Montana? You can actually get, because you know how you and Chester have this problem where you can't do the walleye tournament? Yeah. Well, we can't do that one. Well, you can. not do the one. You can. Montana is one of two states where you can have a proxy stand in for you at your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. What? In Montana, you can have a proxy stand in for you at, I could, Do you, think- you and Chester can fish. I can like officiate and stand proxy. Wow. Or you just have Cal be there because it's like. Cal stand proxy. That'd be easier for me because I wouldn't be bouncing back and forth a whole bunch. Yeah, you just let me I'll know run. where to put my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the rest. 
Hey, Steve, why didn't you tell me this like three weeks ago? I actually got married. Oh, you did? Yeah, here in Montana. Oh, you got married in Montana three weeks ago? I did. Yeah, you could have done it by proxy. Dude, that would... Where where were you a month ago? You could have went fishing. So, Seth, you're back on. um, And this is just a shout out because I know that as we try to court a boat, uh, a boat sponsor for you guys, a lot of boat sponsors might be like, yeah, well, they're not fishing all the tournaments because he's got to go to that wedding. Now, I think... Boat sponsors are going to be perked right up, knowing that you, in fact, will be able to hit all tournaments. Perfect. I'm in, and I'm sure Kelsey will have no problem with this whatsoever. Yeah, ask her about who she wants to proxy um, for you. I'll do it. I don't know. Cal said he'll do it. Whatever. (laughs) We'll figure it out. That's that's when you know you work with a good group of guys is when they'll stand in for you at your wedding. It's problem solving. It's a perk here. It's a perk when you come and get employment here. So good luck. Uh, Rest easy now on the walleye tournament. Everything's in shape. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. My pleasure. Later, Seth. See you guys. Uh, Oh, here's the thing. So our season 10 uh, on Netflix, which launched in two chunks, February 2nd, part two. Bunch more episodes coming up February 2nd. Uh, Spearfishing. Me and Cal go spearfishing with Kimmy Werner. Um, that, that was one of my favorites, man. That was a very, turned out to be a very good episode. Goat hunting. Uh, goat hunting in Hawaii. Uh, shooting bows at goats. Feral goats. Looks a lot like a goat that you'd find in your farm. Barnyard. But there, they're just running around. Were they, t- were they tough to kill? What else is in there? Squirrel hunting? <laughs> it's just, there's just so many of them. Mm. Any individual one is, but when, like any, if I said like, oh, go get that one out there, you might find that to be extraordinarily difficult. But it's like, once you bump that one, just turn slightly to the right. <laughs> yeah. And here comes another 300. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just. It, it's, I, I mean, it's are like they wary at all? Do they smell you and Each run? individual one seems to be slightly varying degrees of wariness. Uh-huh. There's just so many. Right. And they're not all doing the same thing. And they're not hip to your effective range. So, like, they have great eyesight. They can see you. But. They also are aware of how close other dangerous things get to them. And I believe the most dangerous thing out there is a vehicle going 60 miles an hour. Yeah, And then one of the things, like, if you imagine a herd of elk, they all are sort of operating on the same information. Meaning, like, if you went into an area, if you go into an area and, like, you know, spooked a bejeebas out of, like, a pack of cows... It's not like the ones over 50 yards away. They're probably going to go leave too, mm-hmm. but they're not on that program. And some might be like grazing north, but they're sort of passing a group that's grazing south. It just, it doesn't, it's just, it's, it, there are so many of them. Um, I think we even talked about this. I think now and then, didn't they in the past, Cal? do a thing and drove a bunch of them into the ocean. This sounds horrible and despicable, but if you were to get an idea of how many, you you quickly see how many goats there are out there and how, and if somebody were to say like, do you think these could out eat the cattle on the ground? Then your the wheels would start turning as to why that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this from a number of different sources. So I think, 
in some regards, it has to be true where, uh, a means of, of culling would be to get a bunch of folks together and do a big push goat jump. They call it and get them down to the cliffs above the sea and, uh, try to push the goats into the sea. I got to point out too, that there's a lot of people pounding it out on public ground in Hawaii and it's probably not the case, but we're on a private ranch Hmm. where they want to get rid of goats, but it's not like you can't just pull over and start, you know, goat hunting. There's a real, it's because I asked Kimmy about this a bunch because down on the, the Captain Cook site, um, that state park there, they'd, um, they had to cull some goats and they had a lottery for people to just come pick up a goat to oh, take to take home. Just to get a dead goat and bring it home or a live goat? Yeah, live or dead, I believe. Hmm. Um, and I was like, Are, is anybody going to participate in this? And she was like, yeah, everybody's about like the easiest goat meat. But for some reason, it's like if somebody's going to go head out into the, the tall jungle grass with their archery equipment. They don't want to go after a goat. They want to go after a sheep or an axis deer, you know, wherever they are, depending. Yeah. So hunting farm animals, but pretty much I exceptionally tasty. There's places in Hawaii Mm. and and I've met people do it. There's places in Hawaii where they're hunting, um, moo cows. You can hunt feral cattle. I'll fill the freezer. Oh, yeah. There were so many of them while you guys were out hunting. I was just. Seeing how close I could sneak up to him. Yeah, just for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> so, Netflix, February 2. Oh, Crin pointed out, too, it's also Groundhog Day that day. But they're changing the national holiday to Meat Eater Season 10 Part 2 Day. They're going to make a Bill Murray movie called that. <laughs> um, Here's another thing, man. Struck me like a diamond bullet. Uh, Next year's calendar. and And, you know... And we sold a mountain of fucked up old tree stands, calendars. Picture this. Fucked up old taxidermy. That's part two. A lot of material there. We already got the website. We already got the email address set up. So here's what what we're not doing. Much to Corinne's chagrin. Corinne is into, and it's just like, it just, Corinne is into the type of taxidermy where people make like, like uh, Harry Potter type stuff. Like when I say, if I hear the word taxidermy, which is a thing that comes to my mind, which is like getting your buck stuffed, so you can hang it onto your wall, your hunting lodge. What comes to Corinne's mind is a griffin. She's <laughs> 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 like, the, you know, a uh, panda with a pheasant's head. I don't know. It's just like where her mind, that's her, st- this is not this calendar. Maybe we'll give in the back, on the back page, we can give a page with a bunch of things to satisfy Corinne's needs, and she can just leave hers open to that page all year, and there'll be a bunch of these things people make. like will be Groundhog Month. A bunch of things people make that aren't animals. But we're looking for, leg- like, pictures of legitimate, like, the worst taxidermy on the planet. I have a private museum that I've told you about in Idaho that... We can go do a photo shoot in that is like yeah, the most amazing. Yeah, don't, place. don't just pull one up right now. Don't send in the ones that are already circulating the internet. No, these seen. need to be original. They can't be favorite. Seth sent one in the other day. It was like some guy had it up. It was like the worst coyote you've ever seen. And the caption on Instagram was, "Sir, your coyote's ready for pickup." <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Hey, you know there's the, that yeah. really good yeah. one where we're going to be next yeah. week. That's like I desperately want to go. For, yeah, we got the worst mountain lion mount you've ever seen. Um, bad. And then, yeah, that's the crin. That's right up Crin's alley. I feel like that's off that Christmas movie. You yeah, know, that little kids Christmas movie. Exactly. There. Yep. So, the emails. Oh, you know who's got an arm? Matt Cook, those weasels he's got on his fireplace mantle. Mm-hmm. Contenders, maybe. Here's what you might need to do, though. I think, like, send what you got. And what might happen is if it's if it's appropriate, when we make our selections, we might either, if, if possible, we might, and we'll pay for all this, we might box, we might have you, like, we'll pay for shipping, but we might have you package your stuff to send to us to photograph. But just start making your submissions now because Seth's got nothing to do. Um, <laughs> you can send them to fucked up old taxidermy at themeateater.com. Or if you're a kid and you're not allowed to swear yet, send it to F U O T at themeateater.com. So, message to my kids if you submit, you better submit under F U O T at TheMeatEater.com and not the other version. And we will start digging through. But your worst old, like I'm talking grandpa's old deer with the newspaper print sticking out of his ear. Bad taxidermy. Great calendar. Uh, A lot of audience blowback. Brody, you better speak to this. Uh, My opinion hasn't changed based on the blowback. (laughs) Brody doesn't remember saying I don't, because that's how much, how, how... I just don't think it's important, but obviously some people really love their golden retrievers. And Brody uh, said they're the dumbest dogs in the world, and and he got a he he might as well have said that he like um yeah I don't know like beat up Mother Teresa. Yep, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, people really love their golden retrievers. They're not and, and and they're not the dumbest dogs ever, according to all these people that wrote into us. Um, Here's a quote here from uh, a listener named Pat, who's a pheasant hunter. And, and, and he ends with an invite to go pheasant hunting. Yeah, I might take him up on it. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the end of that trip, after he like takes you to his spot, you got to be like, God, that dog really is dumb. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, that really is the dumbest dog I've ever seen. Uh, so for the correction, he says, my dog's name is Tucker and he's a four-year-old golden retriever. He is not only a phenomenal hunting dog, he's also the best family dog I have ever had, which I, you know, family dog, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I got to see the dog hunt first though. Um, he is with me 24 seven and also enjoys the <laughs> podcast. He's a damn smart lab. He listens <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> Um, he can have his dumb moments like all animals, but when it comes to work, golden retrievers are not the dumbest animal in the world. Yeah. And invite you out to North Dakota, which isn't terribly far away. I wasn't trying to offend you, Pat, Pat, or any other golden retriever owners. Well, Corinne said some people were like, really, like actually legitimately mad. People get worked up about dogs. And And you got to keep in mind when you're an angry golden retriever owner, you have Hours and hours of brushing burrs out of their hair (laughs) (laughs) with your daughter's comb to stew on this stuff. Here's a mad email we got. Okay. But here's the thing. The guy's got a ton of, like, the guy's got points. He's got legitimate points. This guy is mad about our, and we've, see, here's the thing. America, like, you know, I heard a really funny joke one time. Um, 
uh, a TV executive once said to me, I think he's a guy from History Channel. Yeah, a guy from History Channel once said to me, the only other country our audience is interested in is Alaska. (laughs) 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 But but, uh, Europe's a big old place, okay? Europe's a big old place full. How many countries are in Europe? Bunch. It's a continent. They got them packed in way tighter. Us Americans don't know the answer to that. I know, but they pack in countries like we pack in states. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's true. And they all got their own little governments, cute little governments. All oh, they're free this and free that. Some work, some Dental don't. care. Uh, How dare they? So we're always talking about what goes on in Europe as though it's like a place. And to our credit, we have mused... We have mused about finding a sort of pan-European hunting authority who would come in and, and be like, here's the lay of the land. The same way someone might come in and do a seminar on the differences in the way the 50 states, the, the 50 U.S. states, the differences in how they manage, like different management approaches, right? You got like this, you can actually still, you know, set a bear trap in Maine, you know, you can fence your deer in in Texas and like walks through like... Here's how they're all different, but here's how they're the same but different. We've mused about this. Yanni is actually going to Latvia mm-hmm. to do an investigative dig deep Sweet. on Latvian hunting. So yeah. we're, so we're we'll, trying to get educated. We'll at least know how one forty-fourth of the hunting in Europe goes down. Okay, so the letter goes like this. Hey, Steve, you can start making that noise you use to describe people who hear something on your podcast then write to you to say you're full of shit. That annoying nah, nah, nah thing. It's not that. <laughs> it's not nah, nah, nah. It's this. Do, do, do. <laughs> so you'd have to replace the ends with Ds. Because in this case, you are full of shit, he says. And you're, see, this is a, here's the thing is I got this email a long time ago and it, I, I just it didn't get to it and it, it was resent to me. So this sent, it was resent to me yesterday. Just like a heads up, like a follow up on its anniversary. It was the anniversary of the original send. But it's all fair stuff. You said in your recent podcast covering the flooding in South Dakota and the challenges that presents to sort out the legal issues of access, both you and Callahan blurted out righteous indignation at the concept of landowners setting bag limits for fish in the water they own, quote, own. We were talking about, uh, these floods in, in North Dakota and South Dakota that like you think of a flood, it like goes up and comes back down, but these are floods that stayed. So in this old podcast episode, maybe Corinne, maybe you can find it and tell us what it was called. That was the one where we had a guy on that blue was trying to jump up out of his, uh, layout blind. Oh yeah. 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 And blew two of his toes off. And you think he blew the edges off, but he blew the middle toes out. Damn. Yeah. Like, Great guy. Yep. It happened so fast, he still shot at the goose. <laughs> but during shooting at the goose, he realized what had happened and didn't know if he even hit the goose. He, like, blew his toes out, shot at the geese, then was like, oh, wow, I just blew my toes out. I think he said his <laughs> foot felt hot or something. <laughs> I don't mean laugh at the brother. Well, he was laughing about it. Yeah. But his foot looks funny. I think we put it on... Um, your Instagram. Yeah. Was this hunting the Anthropocene? Yes, the Anthropocene. 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 Yep, uh, that's it. One ninety episode one ninety five. So, anyways, you got farmers who, or whatever, you got landowners whose land is now under 
a lake. And, and so like state managed fish swim over your land and it's covered in water. And, and these are lakes that used to exist, but they've, they've taken over farms. So there's this, there's this dispute, like, can a farmer go and what's going to really confuse people is we also just talked about the same thing the other day in North Dakota, but I'm talking about, we talked about it a year ago in South Dakota, um, where landowners were like putting out strings of buoys to sort of like hold portions of the lake that sat over their property as their own thing. And it's just a lot of big piss and match. Anyway, in this conversation, apparently Cal and I blurted out with righteous, righteous indignation, I'm back to quoting, at the concept of landowners setting bag limits for fish in the water they own. Of course, being totally, this is the quote from the writer, the, the person writing in, of course, being totally clueless, you boys compared that to the European system where landowners set bag limits. He says, not. That's not true. And he says, it's something you've done before. I hope this email prevents you from doing it again. Goes on to say, I tried to give this information to Callahan, but he just blew it off. My take on you is that you're more of a fact-based person who does not blow information off just because it contradicts your fondly held beliefs. He attached some articles, which Yanni's going to read up on and do book reports down the road here when he gets a minute. He goes on to mention a, a fella that, that we're all familiar with, and I've met Chris Eberhardt, who tragically passed away quite young um, not too long ago. But the guy writing in says, you know, Chris Eberhardt, I discussed the problem of ill-informed American hunting celebrities with him, and he made some interesting observations. First off, it's pretty typical of you and every other American to dismiss all of Europe as an elitist hunting and fishing club controlled by wealthy landowners. Wrong on count one. Second, that game management is a private affair with landowners making myriad potentially harmful decisions all across the landscape. Wrong. Continuing to quote, it's all dictated by state biologists and failure to follow their management plan will result in fines. And finally, Chris points out that the American model is great and it's phenomenal at increasing populations. However, it sucks at controlling populations. The European model excels at that because private landowners are not allowed to make hunting off limits or restrict the take in hopes of growing trophies. It is easy to manage populations. That is a problem we are facing in many places in the U.S. where private non-hunting land is a haven for overpopulation. Two quick counterpoints. I feel a little bit like the person, like this individual, is sort of committing the same mistake that we're committing where he's generalizing in a way that I'm sure there are probably exceptions. I don't think that all of Europe is by mandate open to hunting. I bet you, how many countries they got over there? 44. Are they counting half of Russia? Mm, I'm not sure if they're... Uh, so, touche. The other touche is that in my life, um, in my adult life, I've really come to rethink what people mean when they say overpopulated wildlife. I had a kid write in, um, this is not quoting. Uh, I had a kid write in the other day, he's a high schooler, and he wanted to interview me for a school project he's doing, and he's doing a thing about how you should be able to hunt bears in his state. You can't currently hunt bears in his state. And he's like, he wants to make a documentary showing that you should be able to hunt bears because they'll become overpopulated. And I don't, I've never been in a place where I thought there was too many bears. Like, uh, I can't think of ever thinking there's too many bears. I'll, New Jersey might be headed that way. I don't know. Not <laughs> if you can hunt them. 
Right, but you yeah, can't. but you also have never been like a farmer in heavy populated bear country where bears are raiding your sure. it's, it's, field. It's, yeah, I think that. Well, I was, yeah, you're right. I was gonna say it's a very it's a very subjective thing, right? It's a very subjective thing. When I'm sitting in my deer stand, I seldom am thinking there's too many deer. It's a subject. It's like a farmer probably thinks there's way too many. Mm-hmm. A vehicle insurance person probably thinks there's too many. Someone in the state that this kid's talking about, probably, and he has an orchard, or he's a bee person, that has a, what's that called? An apiary? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's a beekeeper called? I think that's, that's correct. Yeah. An apiarist? I don't know. Beekeeper. He probably thinks there's too many bears. But a bear hunter who just drew a bear tag might not think there's too many bears. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's subjective. Um, read the articles. This is going back into say. Even if you don't want to provide your listeners with the truth, you'll be informed enough to make to maybe stop feeding them a pile of horse shit. Cut the crap. Quit being an idiot. Oh, I forgot a little a little part. European hunters are no less passionate and committed to conservation than are we Americans. You do them a horrible disservice and insult them when you slander their system without knowing shit about it. That's fair. I think it's fair. It's a fair point. Mm-hmm. And I do think he makes it also, there's a good point that he makes in there also, uh, that I can read here and quote, that in Germany, over 60% of the population eats wild game because it is available commercially. He asks, what do you, do, what do you think that does to encourage the general population to approve of hunting? My personal experience is that in Germany, the populace looks forward with relish to the availability of wild, as they call venison. Nope, not into that. Not into it? Not into it. I'll never give. I should say I'll never give because I like to stay open to information, but I, I, I know I understand all the arguments how you should be able to sell venison in the areas where there's like a wide consensus that deer are overpopulated, but I'm not into it. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, well, I think you would think it was a good idea if it meant that we would get uh, your offspring and your offspring's offspring would get to continue hunting in our country if that was the only way. To if, ma- to God, make it. if God came down to me and said the only way your children will be able to hunt is if people can sell venison in New Jersey, I'd have it'd be a different conversation. Until that point, yeah, that's why I said I'm open to changing my mind because he might. I always think of wild mushrooms, <clears throat> just a mushroom sitting there on a hillside, mm-hmm. minding its own business, till somebody puts a price tag on it. Yep, and then it's a goddamn battleground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Of people being assholes to each other in parking lots, packing guns around, all sorts of oh, yeah, nasty like the, yeah, human the, we're behavior. We're the burns, like the burn hunts. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Including yeah. giant piles of human feces. Trash. On the morels? Oh, you mean at the morel spots? At the morel spots. Where the commercial guys come in. And like, you're like, oh, kind of ceased to be a mushroom once there was a price tag on it. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing that can't run away, get in front of other people. It's just plugged right into the ground. <laughs> You've like, also got the public land, private land thing here that like isn't an issue there. You know what I mean? Like market hunting on public land. You know what I'm saying here yeah. versus like, you know. The- no, I understand all the arguments against it. I just think that it's a, also a very interesting argument, something that should make you think that if we don't have 60% approval of hunting, do we? Yeah, it's much higher in the U.S. until you start asking specifics. It's higher than 60%? 
78 if or you 80. call people you can find all these studies online all these surveys online but it only works until you get specific if you call people and say do you support the regulated do you support like regulated hunting for food right i don't know i don't think you got to put it that way really then you get i don't know it, it's higher now than it was in the 90s the minute you say something like do you support um hunting grizzly bears with traps Trapping grizzly bears. Yeah. All you got to do is stick the word extreme? trophy in there. Yeah. Then, but any, like, it'd be like, if you went and said, like, do you support hunting game birds with the use of dogs? It'll go down. Like, any detail puts it down. But the general idea of, like, regulated hunting is acceptable until you put a face to it. If you had a little picture of a little fawn and you're like, do you support hunting this? Right? you'd probably have a low score. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing you got to keep in mind too, it's a big difference between the U.S. And, and, and Europe is cultural, right? So you have, in the U.S., we all share a common language and we have slight cultural differences. But in Europe, I mean, it's, it's, almost, um, it's almost like, you know, different ends of the world where you have different languages, you have different cultures, you have different mannerisms. And a lot of that goes and plays into, um, you know, what the, the, I guess, hunting... Yeah, like less likely to find some well-traveled person who has a yeah. detailed, nuanced understanding of all the different states' game management approaches because you can go to a conference and hear all their biologists talking in English. Yeah, and, and I think that even the like the envir- environment is quite a bit different. So what you're going to find in like the old Slavic region versus the you know Scandinavian region versus Spain, you know, they're very different. Um, just Language-wise, weather-wise, habitat-wise. Check this out, though. It's not as different as the north slope of the Brooks Range sure. is from the bayou country of Louisiana. You're, you're absolutely right, and I think the big, the big difference is that, is that uh, there's... You know, it's tough to have somebody that's an expert in all those languages as well to do that. So we may have to get three or four people. Corinne's going to figure it out. Sure. Got it. Got but it, I think there's a lot of people that have traveled across Europe and hunted a lot of different places. Well, that's you know, not you hard know, to do You know them. who I bet would know all this stuff, man? Um, Craig Boddington. That dude has hunted. Mm. He's probably, he's probably he's, I bet he's hunted countries I don't even know about. Never heard of. That might be interesting. He's a gun writer. Craig Boddington. Real real nice fella. He's military too, right? Colonel. Colonel Craig Boddington. Put that in your notes, Kren. Noted. Put that in your notes and smoke it. A badger found a bunch of Roman treasure in Spain. <laughs> you like that segue, John? That's nice. Um, <laughs> a guy was looking at a badger burrow. You know about this, Cal? This beer up your alley. Oh, yeah. 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 Guy was looking at a badger burrow, and uh, some gold coins were laying out where he'd been digging around. They blame it on the unsee- They blame it on the very severe weather that northern Spain had, as though this particularly harsh winter caused this badger to work extra hard and insert its legs into even smaller cracks than normal next to his den. And this hard winter drove him to discover this cache of coins. It's a nice hypothesis. Two it, now, once someone went and checked it out, two hundred nine coins dating back to what? Between the third and fifth centuries AD. Mm-hmm. 
uh, way back when, in my youth, when I was guiding antelope hunts outside of Winnet, Montana, there was a badger, maybe a family of badgers that had inhabited the uh, Winnet Cemetery. Mm. And I see where this is going. <laughs> I mean, just had no respect for the folks buried out there at the Winnet Cemetery. He's like, hey, do you, would you respect where my uh, ancestors are buried? <laughs> Bet not. Uh, many times uh, over the course of several years, I'd, I witnessed firsthand people shooting into the Winnet, Winnet Cemetery. Trying uh, to protect the bones of their grandfathers. Yeah. And every year, man, you'd see those tombstones and and uh, things just get like more and more cattywampus as everything was getting undermined in there. <laughs> see a badger carrying around an old flask or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Carrying around a femur. Or, 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 yeah, or, gran, <laughs> yeah. or granny's shoulder blade. Yeah. One of the, the ranch hands on one of the places that we knew had, had uh, passed away. And, uh, you know, so we uh, were real, real familiar with the date of internment and uh, got a, got a witness the, the progression of uh, badger activity out there off of a, off of a known date. So, really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, the, the, this, this article about the, this article about the badger finding those coins ends with a very interesting superlative because they wanted to close it with a superlative. So it's, it's highly qualified. This was the largest trove of Roman coins found in a cave in the north of the country. <laughs> On so, a Tuesday. Yeah. I want to know what happened to the badger. I want to know how big a stash of Roman coins were found in the central portion. There's some wealthy badgers out there that they're not talking about. Uh Okay, do this little, uh, do your report. We, this is not a call to action, but this is a ridiculous, I think this is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So this past fall, a muzzleloader hunter in Colorado shot and fatally uh, wounded a archery hunter. Killed. Yeah. Well, I th- fatally killed would be redundant, wouldn't it? I was going to say that, and I stopped myself. I heard you stop yourself. I just wanted people to know that he was dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> fatally tra- wounded, tra- he's dead. Yeah, no, All right, yeah. so. It's tra- yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's tragic. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, n- nothing to laugh about. Uh, anyways, that has spurred uh, people talking about how to make um, the uh, coinciding muzzleloader and archery season in Colorado safer. Um both of these groups have, over the years, since they've started uh, having these seasons, which is sometime in the 70s, when they've had a coinciding uh, muzzleloader season and an archery season, right? Muzzleloaders have a little farther range. Um, you know, it's a rifle. They're both primitive, so they both, both archery and muzzleloaders are primitive, so they've both requested to hunt during the rut to make the hunt easier. And so, basically, the muzzleloader hunters get a nine-day season, Roughly the third week, right, Rodeo yeah. of September. Yeah. And archery season goes basically the whole month of September, give or take the dates a little bit. But um, you, you have a nine-day period where, where it overlaps. To this point, archery hunters just get to go in full camo. Muzzleloader hunters have to wear, uh, just like rifle hunters in Colorado, 500 square inches of uh, daylight orange. <laughs> Fluorescent orange. Hat and, uh, hat and 500 is a lot of torso. Inches. It's a lot. Um, 
So uh, since uh, that year in the 1970s, there's been three uh, instances where hunters have been, uh, where archery hunters have been shot by muzzleloader hunters. Two of them were fatal. Um, so one a decade. Mm-hmm. No, one more than a decade. Since yeah, the 70s? Yeah, be like 1.25. God, we got to get just like a person in here for math. All the way around. Man. It's like, <laughs> oh, we got one. Yeah, yeah. Do it'd that be, math. It'd be like you know, point seven five or point eight. Oh, sorry, I meant one point two five decades. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, man, we should do a lot of math stuff with this guy here in engine. <laughs> uh, so they're proposing now that during that nine day season, that archery hunters to to make it safer that during that nine day coinciding season. Uh, that the archery hunters would also be required to wear the 500 square inches. Oh, they're, so they're orange. throwing down on the full freaking 500. Yep. 500. Yep. I, I read up. I read up, and it is a full 500. Um, but only while muzzleloader season is in, uh, is in and only on public land. Do you know how long that muzzleloader season is? Nine, Not, days. nine days. Nine days. Mm-hmm. Only public land, only while most loaders mm-hmm. in. Let mm-hmm. me know when your report's over, because I'm going to tell you what I would do. Yeah. Uh, they ha- they have other options that are getting thrown out there, other alternatives, like separating the regular archery and muzzleloader seasons, um, leaving it the same. Uh, but yeah, it's getting actually voted on today as we're, uh, as we're discussing this. Hmm. What would you do, Steve? If I was the emperor of Colorado, I would, and I, I, I probably wouldn't get it done immediately. I would scrap all this talk. I'd scrap all the orange talk for archery hunters. And I would put my best people, um, I would put my best people on bringing our, this is the emperor of Colorado. I'd be like, I want you guys to call everybody, all the other states that have elk, archery hunts, and muzzleloader hunts. And I want you to come to me with a proposal that separates these hunts so that when it's archery season, like the archery season stays as a archery rut hunt. And we're going to make, like everybody else, we're going to make, we're going to figure out what that like allocation is and impacts on herd dynamics and wintering range and all that garbage, like a very well calculated thing. And I'd be like, we're going to figure out how to have archery during the rut we're going to run our firearm seasons. Then we're going to run the muzzleloader stuff later. And the muzzleloader is going to be like on its own late season. It's Ooh, not going to be muzzleloader. You're just, you're just going to kick the muzzleloaders right on out of September. Hey, this is coming from a guy that's hunted muzzleloader in Colorado during archery season. Okay. That's if I was the emperor of Colorado, I would say I want to by 2023, the 2023 season, I want this all separated. You would have to be the emperor to get that shit passed, I think. In I am the emperor <laughs> in, this, in this hypothetical. Yes, it's only valuable to talk about like like. It's just like, if you're talking about what you would do, I'm just talking about like if I yeah if I was the uh, your, I'm not yeah. the emperor that that right. won't be the answer. But I'm saying like if someone came to me with the problem, that's what I would say. Yeah, because it's 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 a proven formula all around the damn country. It is, but it's the only place where you got muzzleloader guys and archery guys whacking away at the same time. But you've, you're all about traditional use patterns, and that's a traditional use I'm not in Colorado. I'm not taking it away. I'm not taking it away. You're taking that rut hunt away from yes. muzzleloader hunters. Yes, I am. Which is traditional in Colorado. 
okay, but not. It's 25 years. I'm not stripping a privilege. I'm finding a way. Like, what? What's your big? Uh, I mean, I'm just. What's the big qualm with wearing some orange during archery season? I, I I think I know the answer, but like, what what you know? What's your? Here's the thing. I'm, here's if I was the emperor, my plan. Uh, isn't, I'm not responding. I should clarify this. I'm not responding to the orange part. The orange part, I would say there's an inherent risk of going outside with, with weapons and wild animals and stuff. And like, yes, we've had a couple fatalities over 25 years. Um, we've had a lot more people die from exposure. It's like, it's inherently risky. You have a weapon, you're dealing with animals up close. People shoot elk and then the elk stands up and kills them. That happened last year. It's like, I, I like, we can't like, there is risk involved in life. We're not going to legislate to, we're not going to like create legislation to prevent a fatality every eight years among a user group that is willfully going to engage in an activity. That's the first thing I would say if I was an emperor. And I'd say, but I do think it's goofy. Separate them. Because I just think it's a little bit goofy. Yeah. And I've done it. And I'll do it again. But I think it's a little goofy. That's all. I was just interested in, you know, the state of Idaho, all of their firearm seasons require zero orange. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you want to wear it, great. Um, When I was hunting Idaho all the time, uh, I always have like a blaze orange cap with me. Um, And I'll wear it all the time. I'll wear it some of the time. Just depending on what's um, going on. Just depending on what's going on. Um, you know, all these stupid pictures of people with when they pack out bucks, they for whatever reason, the fad now is to put the antlers straight up. Yeah, the way you look like a buck coming through You know, the woods. that way you look yeah. like a buck coming through the woods during back firearm forth. season, right? Um, <laughs> you look like a buck backing through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't do that, uh, but I always throw a chunk of blaze orange up on top of my pack during those circumstances. Um, just wanted to say that. The interesting thing that pertains to this conversation is, um, I was like, boy, Idaho must not have a lot of hunting fatalities because it rarely comes up that they need to start requiring blaze orange for hunting seasons. Um, but certainly in comparison to the, uh, Colorado statistics that Giannis rattled off, uh, Idaho's on par with, uh, hunting related, uh, shootings and, uh, fatal shootings. Are they uh, are they ahead of the curve it, when when calibrated for percentages? Uh, since 1980, which was the um, as is for a lot of places, the start of the hunter education program. Yep. Um, the average is 1.9 fatalities since. Oh, let's see. Since the inception of Idaho's hunter education program, in 1980 hunting seasons have averaged 1.9 fatalities and 5.8 non-fatal shootings mm-hmm. per per season. Once someone who's real good on the internet find a, find that for Michigan. I know that the hunter safety program caused fatalities to plummet. Yeah. I think Durkin wrote an article about that on our website. You know what's funny about Colorado is they don't require orange for small game and bird hunting. Like you're using a gun and... Yeah, I wouldn't, you don't need it here. 
for bird hunting, but right. I wouldn't gripe if they if all of a sudden you had to wear an orange hat bird hunting. Yeah. I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a fit. But it's just weird how they're nitpicking this situation. And, it, and in the regulations, because obviously we're all, all reading them all the time. It's amazing how much print each state that doesn't require orange for upland bird hunting, how much print they take up in the regs, strongly encouraging you <laughs> yeah. to wear it. <laughs> And I'm like, like it would have been quicker just to make it that you had it, to wear it. It would just be quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's such a part of upland bird culture anyway. It's like, well, Yeah, like they point. build it into bird vests and stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's got to be related to why they don't do it. It's got to be a, 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 like a mechanism to free up wardens to do like more important warden work, I imagine, than just chasing around people with not enough orange on in oh, Michigan, they felt that the, I remember being a kid and people saying that the reason they had on Hunter's Orange laws is so the game wardens could find you quicker. Made that you couldn't hide from game wardens. Um, you'd be like, well, I thought it was because people shoot each other a lot. Right. Like, and you oh. know, the bad guys aren't taking those vests off. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah, I'm going to have to give up poaching now they pass this Hunter's Orange law. <laughs> My whole program sunk. Do you want to hear how many people died in Michigan real quick? Yeah, please. Uh, 38 hunting-related injuries, 18 deaths between 2015 and 2020. Put that to our engineer. Well, well, we really need to know how many hunters on each. Uh, it's that's yep. just seasons. You know what I mean? Is there, yeah, is there quite a bit more? Yeah. And then the other, the oh, other yeah. side, too, is that's probably a lot more wooded hunting. So are you shoot? That is like a lot of that people shooting through brush. Obviously, that's unacceptable. But <laughs> much higher density of hunters. Hey, as uh, an engineer, have you been? You're completely right. Have you been in? Uh, where are they? The hell, I haven't them. Uh, well, we took them down to put the tiki bar sign up there, oh. and I haven't put it back up yet. <laughs> Son of a bitch, Phil! You might want to wander over <laughs> later on and take a look at that. Oh, sure. The odds of the turkey will walk past if you don't do anything. I like that out in the woods. Um, thank you, Yanni. We'll get back. Like I said, uh, Durkin wrote a whole thing about this. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So... On hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.com health slash meat eater but you got to use the promo code meat eater that's promo code meat eater okay at twc.health slash meat eater 
Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. All right. So ready. Well, I can't go on all damn day, man. Friends and neighbors coming to you. That'll be good. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Agree, <laughs> agree to disagree on that. Should have gone with it. Never give up. Well, yeah, there's the uh, we shall fight on the beaches. Yeah. We <laughs> shall fight on the seas. Yeah, that one. So this fight's about Yellowstone. Um, back to the wolf desk. Fight in the hot springs. Uh, we've been following <laughs> this off and on for, I don't know how long, a few months now, right? This uh, northern uh, Yellowstone wolf situation where... Uh, Wolves that live, that den in the park, are wandering past the northern border of Yellowstone onto public land in in Montana and getting shot. And I, I think it was a few months ago the first one got shot and they've been whittling them away. One of the first things I want to tackle is, do they wander? Well, sure. I mean that—that's the whole thing. Like this, this whole situation. Yeah, did he is, think he was wandering? That's the whole thing. Is this situation is based on the premise that these are somehow quote Yellowstone's wolves, right? Then they got lost one day. Um, which is that's a really good point. He might not think that he wandered anywhere. 
And if you asked him where he lived, he might point to Montana. Yeah. And he goes, no, when I'm over in Yellowstone, I, 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 I occasionally wander over there. Yeah. Just it, following it, the food, man. Exactly. But, I just know. happen to get my picture taken a lot more when I'm over that way. Yeah, which lends people to think that, yeah. Let's yeah. assume that these wolves spend the majority of their time in Yellowstone. They they den there. They raise their pups there, whatever. I think that's okay. probably the case. That might be true. That's um, anyway, I think the last time we checked in, like three of these wolves had been killed. Now we're up to 20. And uh, the uh, Phantom Lake pack has now considered eliminated after most or all of its members were killed. Uh since October. Um, so an entire pack basically is considered uh, eliminated from Yellowstone. The, now, the, par- the park is the calling it a setback for yeah. the species' long-term viability, uh, which that's a debatable point. But a setback for sure. wolf research, I, I have a hard time buying that. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, these will, like Montana relaxed some regulations or changed some regulations just north of the park to allow more wolves to be harvested in, in that that region of Montana. Um, the park superintendent is not happy about it. Some wolf advocates are not happy about it. And uh, kind of button heads. Park superintendent called Cam Shawley uh, has raised concerns, kind of calling out Montana Governor Gianforte to, to shut things down, like, uh, you know, just end the season now. Gianforte is not having that and uh, basically says, you know, this is, we're, we're going to manage wolves in our state, how we're going to manage them. And the season is is continuing. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. Remember that quote, Yellowstone is 2.2 million acres of paradise surrounded by reality. That's right. Um, y- you know, like, I understand if an entire pack has been, you know, essentially eliminated that, you know, there's some concerns there maybe, but, um, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I feel like the, as usual, this wolf thing is definitely being portrayed in the media w- without a real deep dive into things, into the wildlife management. It's just like 20 wolves killed 20 Yellowstone wolves you're never going to hear hear them referred to it. Half of them probably had names. Sure. Uh, They had numbers for sure. You know, collars and numbers and... Well, I I mean, who did the population level quote? Like, that's... that. I'll eat my hat if that's a biologist who said that. Like... Oh, that there's only 94 wolves in Yellowstone? No, that the... the, Taking these wolves out is going to have a population level effect on on these things. What's the main headline on that? Sure, how many pups are going to be born this spring, right? Yeah, I mean, you it's know. just not. And it's, when we're talking, you want to talk about a population, talk about a population. If you want to talk about um, individuals within a population. Yeah. But the other thing it's not mentioned is like wolves go to war with each other all the time. And like one wolf will go, pack will go wipe out another. And, you know, this vacuum of space is created where there are no wolves for a while and then it's filled back up. Uh, you know, I, I think. Although these are human-caused fatalities, you're probably going to run into it same, the same situation. Like some wolves are going to occupy that territory at some point. Yeah, that was my main takeaway from Diane Boyd's podcast with us was that like that population fluctuates by 50% every year. Yeah. So if it truly is 94, then when all those pups are born, it'll bump up to, uh, come on, quick math, 188. Yeah, and, she and, said that it, that 
at pumping season, the population is usually down 50%. Then it right. bounces, doubles, and then it probably goes, you know, yeah. back down. Yeah. If they're so mad uh, or worried about all these wolves getting, you know, killed, then they should stop the other packs from killing the other wolves because that's what kills wolves. Is also that's what, what the, yeah, the, that's what yeah she said that the number the lead cause of death in Yellowstone wolves is Yellowstone wolves. Well, I don't even think we'd be hearing about it if these weren't Yellowstone wolves. No, I don't. Th- I don't think you would. The two, the two primary things that I remain interested in, like the main interesting points to me, are that we're still the the the. the Greater Yellowstone ecosystem, a term that I want to think of a replacement for. Um, the GYE, we're still above the objective. Way above. That yeah. everyone agreed to in the early 90s as what recovery would look like. So I'm, try- I'm kind of, I, I have a hard time understanding why did that understanding of a recovery objective, like what has happened to make that so wrong? Yeah, well, why, why isn't that Why the is that recovery objective now dismissed? The other part that I think is interesting just to just to watch from the sidelines. I guess I'm not on the sidelines. I'm I'm in it. Is um to what degree is Yellowstone National Park or any national park going to dictate wildlife management across its borders? Yeah, state wildlife. Which is like a really interesting fight and it has implications for bison, it has implications for predators like you have a national park and it has its own rules and it has its supporters and Visitors, to what degree does that rule bleed beyond those borders with these buffer zones and other things we toyed with? It's just a really interesting, like, yeah. look at wildlife law. And it's it's this Fed versus state thing that's building up. Like, you're going to see it with grizzlies, too. Yeah, that's I like, imagine. there's an undertone of that, right? Yeah. There's an undertone of local management, yep. federal oversight, Washington, D.C. telling you how to live. And, uh. the, as soon as the, the debate was happening with the introduction of wolves into Yellowstone, there was also the... Yeah, but what happens when they go out of Yellowstone? Mm-hmm. Like the the same breath, same page. There was never a thought that, oh no, these are Yellowstone wolves, therefore they will stay in Yellowstone, and that's going to be that. I'll tell you what happens when right? they go out of Yellowstone. They go down to Colorado <laughs> and kill the first cattle and first beef cow in seventy years. Great segue, bro. He hit it. Yeah. See that? Um, that was a segue. That was way better than that thing about those badger. <laughs> um, in, a, in a place, uh, Walden, Colorado, where Giannis and I have spent some time. Um, a few weeks back, first uh, livestock predation by wolves, confirmed livestock predation by wolves in 70 years. Just happened. They should put a roadside uh, attraction sign there. Like, Heck you know, yeah. They should. You go down the road and it says like, you know, historic site ahead. And they got one of those wooden signs that someone chiseled in the words. Yep. And you can, can hit a little button and it'll go. Yeah, the fir- <laughs> but the here's first where- cow, the first, this is where the yep. first uh, cow in 70 years is killed by a wolf in Colorado. Yeah. That's and it gets juicier because the, the, I assume wolves from the same pack just killed a ranch dog, Ooh. a border collie named Buster. May he rest in peace. Remember New Mexico when that woman's um, dog got caught in a snare and the dog, they made a law Yep. that was like, what the hell's that dog's name? Poochie. Let's say it was like Pookums. It was like Pookums Law. The anti-trapping law. The anti-trapping law became like Pookums Law. Yep. I wonder if there's going to be an anti-wolf law called Buster's Law. I don't know. This is Um, for Buster. 
My buddy, his bird dog just got caught in a coyote trap in Pennsylvania. Foothold? Did he get it out? He did, yeah. And uh, he was fired up and wanted to get something done about it. The game like warden- Like he wanted to get some traps? The game, well, he wanted to <laughs> see that guy punished somehow. It's like, dude, like, was the guy doing anything illegal? No, there's a name on the trap. It was legally placed. Game warden was like, sorry, can't do anything Keep about Keep your dog it. on a leash, yeah. buddy. Yeah. The, now you ruined this guy's a, coyote set. Yep. <laughs> it was a foothold. Who's going to remake this set? What's that? It was a foothold? Yeah. Yeah. Dog was fine. Yeah. yeah. Who's going to remake the set? He better get down and remake. <laughs> he better get some scent proof gloves and remake yep, the set, buddy. Yep, yep. Moving on. Good job, Brody. Everybody, Brody Henderson. Thanks, Brody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, speaking I like of, how it fired up, Brody. Gets. Speaking of speaking <laughs> of glo- speaking of gloves, have you had any chance to uh, try out those gloves love I gave em. you? Yeah, love they're them. good. Yeah, really like them. I'm worried about durability, but so far so good. Yeah, I wear uh, for cold weather, wet stuff, setting decoys, pulling shrimp pots and whatnot, like an insulated atlas. Whatever the hell that the Atlas Vinyl Love. It's called like Vinyl Love. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like I don't know, seven eight bucks. The I, I still like I still like to say they're three four bucks, but they're not three four bucks. No. They have that. That insulated glove on the inside? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well, no, not the one that comes out, but I have both. So the, the, the kind that comes out, which is far superior. Yeah. I got Because then you can, because when right you get now. the other ones wet, I mean, they're wet for like three years. Especially <laughs> up at the shack. Man. Yeah. You get the kind where the insulation doesn't come out, you get that soaked. You just have to be it's really like, careful when, with them. Uh, took mom up to the fish shack. Steve noticed that she had the kind where the insulation stays on the inside. Mm-hmm. And you made that comment to her. And uh, she gripped on the inside with her fingernails, I'm guessing, pulled the liners out, cut a little line around them, so now they're removable. Oh, yeah, And I was like, that. I'll fix that some bitch. Yeah, my whole life no I've been way. cursing those things, and all of a sudden she made them removable. <laughs> That's awesome. 30-second <laughs> job. They're remo- removable. Now it was removable liners. <laughs> so, uh, but dexterity is poor. Um, and then Yanni discovered a, a new kind where, man, you could do brain surgery in those things. Yeah, I'm bummed. I bought four pairs. One pair was for me. And uh, my wife was like, oh, but, you know, my uh, your father-in-law would probably also like to have a set of those gloves. So I I can't eat, I don't even have a set. All my buddies and really? family are wearing them. What are they I, called? I even... Showa Temri's Model 282. Yeah, it's like an insulated rubber. It lo- listen, crab, when you find it online, crab glove. When, it lo- when you find it online, you'll think you're looking at those vinyl Atlas gloves too. Yeah, but like I said you could do brain surgery and you could count coins in it. But um, uh, I'm a little worried. That I don't. I don't know how they're gonna hold up. I was tipped off by product designer about him who said that uh, a lot of uh, like ice climbing and mountaineer folks that do a lot of climbing in the winter and ropes and whatnot that they were using that glove. They'd probably be good for ice fishing, too. You can get a pack of those mm. Atlas gloves, uh, 12 for 40 bucks on Amazon. That's how I buy them. <laughs> yeah. That's how I buy them. I put yeah, them well, out. Like Steve said, you can actually do things with these. Yeah. These 10 but I buy them in They're packs like, 20 like that. Bucks and you know what I do when I leave? People are going to think this is wasteful. When I leave my fish shack, the last thing I do on my way out is burn my pair. So I'm never tempted to wear them again because I guarantee they're full of holes. Funky. They get they get funky. I used to always try to like keep them nice. Now I'm like, once they get a hole in them, I just get rid of them. Uh, watch this transition. You know how elk? Uh, you know how wolves eat elk? Sometimes, yeah. Well, they got an elk hunt in Virginia, first one ever. Hmm. Twenty twenty two. 
Virginia's going to have its first elk draw. They're opening up an elk hunt lottery this year. They did their re- This is a quick turnaround. They did their reintroduction of elk into Virginia between 2012 and 2014. February 1st, application period will open for the inaugural hunt. They got bulls running around already. That are They got 350-inch bulls running around, 900 pounds, 350 inches. The hunt, the, so this will be the hunt for the 22-23 season. No. The hunt will be October 8th of this year to October 14th. Five antlered tags. Application period opens February 1, closes March 30. It's probably residents only, right? You, you, oh. I don't know. I was going to ask if it was open or non. Great news residents. for Virginia, man. Pretty soon, those uh, all those eastern elk populations are going to start connecting with each other. I know. Man. It'll be cool when that happens. I got a hot tip for you. If you want some easy pickings, draw the first year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you will get a close standing still shot. I imagine so. Uh, quick note, we covered real heavily in, uh, what was the name of that episode, Corinne? Get Out of My Airspace, what was it called? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, no. The last one we did with Dave Wilms? Yeah. <sighs> I think it's All Up In Your Airspace. All Up In Your Airspace. In All Up In Your Airspace, we covered this corner crossing issue where um, some guys did a corner jump on a corner that had been, uh, they had to use a ladder to get over obstructions that the landowner who owned the private chunks of the corner had put up. And a lawyer wrote into us, he's got a picture of the corner. I'm not going to tell you what the sign says, but it's a no trespassing sign. And a chain strung up. And a lawyer wrote in saying that, why is the landowner not being cited for having his obstruction chains in the public airspace so he's violating the same airspace argument that he's arguing he's saying when you step from when you do a corner hop your body is crossing my airspace yet his obstructions his chains are in public airspace why is that not a problem your argument for has to acknowledge the argument against right like if you believe in evil Thereby, you believe in good. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I don't want your stuff over my airspace. So to prevent that, I will put my stuff over your airspace. Man. <laughs> we took this to Dave Wilms. He even had some Latin that I don't understand. But he said, um, it sure seems, he doesn't know. He hasn't looked into it. He just, he said, taking a, like, so he's like cursory inspection he points out that there is a thing called the Unlawful Enclosures Act. Guarantees a right of access to all public lands. Um, which dates back to the 18 which backs dates back to 1885. He goes on to say, I don't yeah, I haven't done enough research to know how it's pertinent here, but there is a thing here. And he said it would be it's an interesting idea to look into. Um and we'll we'll cover updates on that case again sometime soon. Okay, I want to speed do the Minnesota deal. Sure. I like it because the guy bleaches his hair. That's a sure tip off. Um, you know how in these articles they always like to point out if the, the perp has a like a prior rap sheet? That, oh. was, that was real prominent in this. What's um, his? I didn't even catch that. Um, 
I can't remember if it was like domestic abuse or, or oh. like substance abuse. Anyway, the guy apparently was a bad egg, which isn't supposed to matter, but a guy, a Minnesota deer farmer had a Minnesota deer farm. He had CWD infected animals. And, and what was he doing with them? He was dumping them on public ground right outside his enclosure. And, uh, the, uh, what was the DNR found, um, evident, like evidence of prions in the area where these deer were being dumped. And so the deer farm got shut down. They said, you got to put some, up a 10 foot high barrier around this to keep other deer and humans out of the area. He refused to do so, uh, got charged with uh, several different things. Um, where is it? Beltrami right? County. I don't know how to pronounce yeah. that. Beltrami? It, it lays out what he got charged with. Um, broke the law in four ways. Moving quarantine deer off his farm, dumping their carcasses on public land, failing to test all his farm's dead deer for CWD, and failing to maintain accurate herd records. Included unreported deer deaths. So they nailed him. Uh, he refused to put up the barrier. So the state of Minnesota did at the cost of $194,000. And uh, they're trying to get this guy to pay for it. Probably not going to happen. I don't know. Maybe it will. But anyway. If you found a guy passed out behind a strip club in Las Vegas and <laughs> rolled him over. It'd be him. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh my God. Anyway, he's, he, he's, his argument against... I mean, just like the picture. Yeah. The picture. The argument against... <laughs> his argument is that this is government overreach. It's not the kind of barrier they put up around other places. It's it's overstepping what needs to be done. You know, I, I'd argue not enough is being done. But... Uh, I was going to say, better not let Doug Dern get a hold of this guy, well, but Doug, Doug, Doug actually sent it, sent it yeah, to us. Yeah, yeah, he sent it to us. Um, well, they don't say how big this guy is. I guarantee Doug Doug's would take this him. guy. If he in from Richland County. Um, a good a point here is CWD represents a major economic threat. Deer hunting represents a $500 million industry in Minnesota. And what does the captive cervid industry represent economically in Minnesota? I would think the captive cervid industry would say this guy's a poor representation of sure. the captive cervid. Yeah, industry. it'd be like if if someone, yeah, this can't be taken to reflect because if if some guy had poached like thirty deer, okay, would we be sitting here being like just goes to show them hunters? Right. It's like uh, yeah, I don't want to. Uh, this is not a. I don't think this can be taken as. As like, that's how they are, but it is just like an extraordinarily kind of like shitty thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. To Above take a bunch, of in, a, a bunch of infected deer and then haul them off, off your land and dump them on private land and then act like it's not your problem when they want to fence. Dump them on public land. I'm sorry. You take infected deer off your place, dump them on public land, and then be that it's not my problem when they want to fence it off so more de so deer aren't running around on your little homemade toxic site. Which, I mean, this is this is the entire argument wrapped up in a nutshell. It's like this guy read the history of the conflict between the captive servant industry, the uh, proposed regulation history of, okay, well, we need stricter testing. We want a double barrier so wild individuals cannot come in contact with uh, captive or farmed individuals. 
And he's like, uh-huh, got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a dozen deer. More. Uh, that they know of, yeah. yeah. Well, I think at one last point that, that's important here is uh, this is being watched closely by hunters, officials, lawmakers, and the commercial deer farm industry because what this, what ultimately deer farmers end up being responsible for cleanup wise could like, this could have implications oh, on that in the future. Yeah. I could see that. The, yeah. I could see that this could wind up. Uh, the, the chunk of ground's 11 acres. Did we say that? Mm-hmm. So you just lost 11 acres of public land. Well, his enclosure was 11 acres. Mm-mm. This, the, no. the spot, no. the, the, the spot public land there, they're, they're fencing yeah. off. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You just people in that area just lost not a catastrophic loss, but they lost eleven acres of public ground, which is now behind a fence to keep people out. Yeah, you're bumming if you had a tree stand in that eleven acres with a nice deer trail walking underneath it. All right, John Miller, you ready? Sure. First thing I gotta say was Hey, do you know that John Miller's <clears throat> from Minnesota? Yeah. That's how he knew how to pronounce you that county. So you could have used, uh, used that as oh, the, your transition. John, you're from Minnesota. Wait, Just about like, got a bear attack. Him. Well, <laughs> John Miller, you got to be hard to look up. I bet your old girlfriend's ears can't even begin to try to find you on 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 Facebook. John yeah. Miller, how many dudes named John Miller are running around? I'm actually the sixth. So my dad's John Miller and his dad's John Miller. And so, so you know about so six of them that you're related to, at least. Yeah, yeah. Hard guy to find. Okay, how does how does the story begin? Um, so I, I think the 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 first thing I got to start with is you know kind of um, building up you know w- the situation from you know the actual grizzly attack right <clears throat> yeah like, you know when I say how does it begin like what were you doing so we're out elk hunting um, and so and this is something you do a bit like you like to get around you do a lot of hunting so yeah I do I do a lot of traveling for work and uh, I like to experience a lot of different unique types of hunts and and fishing and things like that and this is my first big elk hunting trip actually mm-hmm. um, I've, I've had a cow tag before but um, this was my first bull tag and um, so we went out for uh, gun season I, I'm more of an archery guy I like to archery hunt but um, you know it takes a lot more time and so th- this time we, we drew uh, general tags and uh, it was, it, we went for the rifle season and you were in uh, what mountain range there uh, the Absaroka or mm-hmm. some people call them Absorkies. Um how do you pronounce them well there's two different things um the Absorka range, but the Absorkies is something different, right? When people say, Absorka. I thought it was a city at one point in time, but then I've heard people use it. There is a te- there is a little town over there of Absorki. Absorki, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, um, so <clears throat> we went out, and uh, season started on uh, October first. So on October first, uh, uh, one of the guys in the group uh, shot a bull. And uh, so we quartered that out. One of the guys in your party. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. So there were six of us in camp and one of them shot a, a bull on October 1st. And so we quartered it out, brought all the meat back to camp, hung it, and uh, but left kind of the, I guess, the, the gut pile and carcass, if you will, deboned. and um, As one does. As one does. Um, I just threw that in there so people didn't think that that was abnormal. <laughs> it would be a lot to pack out yeah, all yeah, out. Yeah. Okay, right, right. Um, so there was a carcass kind of in that area. That night I went out on October 1st again and to a different area a couple miles south and didn't see anything. And You hunting with uh, horses or on foot? Um, we had horses there in camp and we'd kind of use them, but, you know, if you got close to something, obviously you'd tie up the horses and, and go off on foot. But um, so let's just fast forward to day two. Okay. Um, so 
October 2nd. Um, you know, on, on that first day, we had seen a, a herd of elk beyond where that first bull was killed that got spooked after, after that. Um, so we went back to see if, you know, that herd was still there. And so we actually, we went up to this, this really nice knob where we could see this whole valley. You know, it's kind of a burned area. So just kind of describing it for the listeners, you know, it's really open, really. And you could see quite a long ways. Um, the, the part of the area that was, um, that had vegetation was all burned off. And then there was a, a really barren ridge that kind of went down. And while we were glassing, uh, we saw a herd of elk at maybe 1,200 yards, you mm-hmm. know, to our north. And, and we were sitting there. And we're no hurry. They were all bedded down. And. We could see the carcass from yesterday. Um, and so we, we even talked about it. We looked at it. And, and it's how many yards from you? I would say at that time about 500. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a decent bit. Yeah. But, and, 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 you know, we could see 100, 200 yards all around that carcass. And, and it looked like it hadn't been touched or moved or drug around or anything like that. And obviously you see elk quite a ways out. And so your, your focus kind of switches to, you know, to the elk. And so... We started to make a play on these elk, um, me and another guy. And um, so, you know, we started walking down, walking down this ridge line that there was a trail that kind of was cut into the side of this hill and to probably 10, 10, 15 yards to our, to our right. um, It it was almost like a cliff that dropped into this real big valley. And, uh, you know, we're walking towards the elk at 1200 yards and we're we're taking our time, stopping, kind of glassing to our left because that's where we can see everything mm-hmm. is off in this burned vegetation. And, you know, we're just looking for, we don't want to spook anything into our herd or anything like that, taking our time. And I would say probably on the, we, we'd walk about 100 yards, stop, glass a little bit, you know, taking our time. Um, and you got a blind to the right. You got sort of, a, it rolls over a blind spot, but then drops off sharp. Yeah. And, and you know, we'd been over there and, and looked at, um, kind of over that, that ledge and it really, you would not expect anything, you know, it's just, it's just, I would say 600 feet kind of down into this big valley. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's just, there's just really not much there. Um, so are you going towards the gut pile we, uh, from the day before? We are, but we're probably, we're probably going to stay the closest we would have gone on that, on that trail would probably be about a hundred yards, you know, but we're, we are headed in that general vicinity. And uh, so I would say on our third stop. But you've already seen the gut pile at this point. We've seen it, yeah. And everything around it. Yeah, and it's just. It's not disturbed. Yeah. Yep. So you're kind of, your guard's down a little bit, you know. And uh, so we stopped maybe the second or third time just to glass to our left. And and I just remember hearing, it was more like a squeal than anything. Your Brody squeal. Let's let's hear your best squeal. <laughs> it was like that? Uh, <laughs> you that know, was like maybe, a fawn bleat, Brody. A, a little bit yeah. more aggressive than that, maybe. Just, just but from, just, can you? Can, I, I don't mean to embarrass you, but get, I, I just like. Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me. Give to me do a rough. And, give me a rough. Um, let, let's let's or maybe, do like a like. Do like a, a similar to. Similar to like almost what you'd think like a a, a warthog or something would do. You know. Reet! Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Who did that? Me. Oh. That was Chester. Um, yeah, and so, and so I, I'm, I'm literally looking, and both of us, both of us are looking through our binoculars to our left, you know, into the burn. And you hear the, and when, we when hear you hear it, the noise. Which is effectively over our right shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, so we look over our right shoulder, and there is a sow grizzly bear at, uh, it, it's 10 to 15 yards. I mean, it's close. And it is running full speed ahead. And, the, and there's two cubs trailing there. And... 
coming from the direction of the gut pile or like no. as far as you know, like not related to the gut pile? So we can come back to that, okay. but over the cliff effectively. So to our right. She came up out of that stuff. Not out of the stuff. I mean, out of, out of, really off the other edge is yep. a rock cliff that you would, you would struggle to walk up without ropes. Okay. It's like a ridge line, right? Skyline. It's a ridge line. Yeah. But she's coming from that stuff. She's that. coming from that ridge. Yeah. And the other side of that ridge. And, you know, I, I would say, I would say, it, so, so let, let me kind of describe the, I guess, the situation here. I'm standing with my binoculars looking to my left, look over the right, over to the right, and there's the sow and two cubs. And, you know, the first thing, you know, first thing, I would love to say the first thing that went through my mind was like, let's fight. You know, that, that is not what happened. You know, it's how do we get out of this, right? So I took a couple steps back and I watched that, that sow basically um, kind of redirect, redirect her, her trajectory. And, you know, it started, it went for the other guy. And, um, was he ahead of you? He was ahead trail? of me. Yeah. He was ahead of me. Um, and I may have seen, seen her first cause I kind of had a better vantage point from looking over my shoulder and whatnot. And so, you know, I, I kind of described that as almost like a, a national geographic film of like watching a bear attack, like a clueless animal or something. It was just real graceful. Really? Just real fast. And like her mind was made up before we saw her that she was coming to eat. And, um, and so, you know, I've listened to some of your podcasts and you talk about your big mistakes. I'm going to talk about three of my big mistakes right here. Please. So I have a, I have a, I have a can of air spray. Mm-hmm. I also have a rifle. Um, I do not have a sidearm. We can talk about that in a second, but, um, you know, there's only so much gear a guy can take, but in my rifle, so I'm kind of a meticulous guy, right? I like to keep my gear really nice. And, you know, I've kind of changed my mind since this incident, but you don't want it nice anymore. Well, I had a scope cover on, (laughs) okay, (laughs) which is a little absurd. Right. Um, so I had a scope cover on and, um, I had, um, I had bullets in the magazine, but not in the chamber and my scope As, as people do. Yes. As people do. Um, and I had my scope set to it wasn't max. I think it was at 10 power. Okay, now I do think you're dumb. Yep. yep. Yeah. <laughs> the Agreed. first two, I'm like, I could see it. Yeah. I could see it. But that's inexcusable. Uh, that is excusable. But I don't, I'm not saying that from a bear perspective. <clears throat> I'm saying that for like a, oh, shit, there's no. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Um, and, and the other thing that's Had kind you of- been the guy who killed the elk the prior day, then I'd be like, oh, sure. no, you're, you're sure. 10 yeah. power. I get it. You're Long, done. Sure, sure. Long shot. Never adjusted it. The other thing is, you know, I kind of got into, um, you know, some, some long range stuff. So I really, you, you guys are probably totally arguing me here. I, I like the first focal plan scopes. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody uses them from hunting or really like for hunter, um, use, I guess you correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, do you have, do you use the first focal plan? I've had them, but no, not, not on my hunting guns. No. Yeah. Cause the big complaint there is obviously like, you know, your crosshairs are real fine when you're zoomed way out and whatnot. And so, um, so anyway, so I had a first focal plane scope. Scope. Yeah, so what he's saying is, as you dial the scope, the crosshairs get thicker and thinner. Correct. They like they and, the crosshairs magnify out, magnify in. And, and what's neat about it is like your your uh, you know your Christmas tree below is always correct, regardless of what power you're on, yeah. right? And so it's great if you're making a 500 yard shot, but, but not a. I, I think five. you can have. Yeah, I should say that because I have you can have those that are extremes, mm-hmm. and you can have those that it always stays pretty nice. I'm not sure uh, what you're talking you about there, but they, you can get them where it's like very fine threads, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
or where it's sort of like uh like a usable thickness no matter where you are where you can still find <clears throat> it against a dark object sure sure well i, I think we're getting hung up on yeah, the scope we're getting, here maybe we're getting, we're getting yeah um what just one last comment there. If you have illuminated, it really helps. But anyway, um, there wasn't time to throw that on. But so anyway, I've got some issues here. So within, I would say, let, let's kind of run down the timeline here. I have no idea there's a bear looking through binoculars. I see a bear. And then within, I would say within a probably a second, maybe a second and a half, that bear is eating the individual in front of me. Um, it's on top, just going to town. And I, I actually can't see. Just describe uh, uh, what a grizzly bear eating your buddy looks like. Well, um, so there's, so I would say when it was a couple, maybe 10 feet away from him is when I started scrambling to get a rifle. Mm-hmm. So I, I missed, I missed the, the event where it smoked him like, you know, J.J. Watt would. Like you'd expect a linebacker just to blindside somebody. That's really about what happened. Um, and... From my vantage point at this time, I can't see a human at all. I can see just the bear, and I can't see the head, but I can see the neck muscles mm. like it's devouring, right? <laughs> so, so I can see... Because it's biting. It, like, they're both looking away from me, effectively. So the, the, the bear is... I can see the bear's rear, and I can't see its head. Is your partner on his belly or on his back or so, on his side? you know, tough dude. Great, great re- reaction to everything. He he actually got on his back, and what what was going on at the time was he had stuck his left arm out trying to draw his sidearm, which was in a shoulder holster. But the bear immediately just grabbed his hand, and so from from my perspective, I can't see any of that. I could just see a bear, mm-hmm. and I know my you know my buddy's underneath him, and so that's that's what I see. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater. But you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater. Okay. At twc.health slash meat eater. This show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stressors. Big ones, little ones. When you keep these things bottled up, it can start to affect you in a very negative way. Well, therapy 
is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Like figure it out. That means figure it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no there's no such thing. It's like, you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash eater today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash eater. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. So I remember a couple, like, very cognitive decisions going through my head, right? The first one was, how do we get away? Second one is, you know, we're, we're not getting away. This is, this is happening right now. And so I, I grabbed the rifle, chambered around, threw the cover off, and brought it up, you know, to my cheek. And, and uh, surprisingly, I, I remember, like, immediately finding the bear. You know, like, you would think but maybe— The bear and only the bear. You know, I think I must have been having, like, two eyes open or something. It's, I seemed incredibly confident where I was aiming at that time. You know, especially I, at 10 power at close range, I, that's tricky. incredibly confident. And I remember thinking to myself, like, well, I can't shoot here, which is where I would like to shoot because I'm shooting, you know, a 300, ma- 300 wind mag at 285 grain bullet at six yards, 10 yards, and it's probably coming out the other side, right? So I, you don't want to, you know, I didn't want to shoot there. And so what actually went through my head was, you know, if, if I just shoot, the barrel probably get spooked and run off, which is, well, we can get into that later, but. So I, I remember just aiming where I thought kind of the vitals were. And I, I was like, well, I can't shoot here. So I just brought it up to kind of the, the higher part of its back. Mm-hmm. That's what I was kind of trying to explain in that video where I had a, an adrenaline running. But So I kind of brought it up higher on the back and just squeezed. And she went off. And that, that bear immediately let up, turned, and started charging me. And And I guess I would describe it as like, you know, the, the film kind of changed, right? So at first it was this, na- this beautiful National Geographic film of uh, a bear kind of going going in for a kill. And then all of a sudden it was like The Revenant. 
yeah. where the bear's angry, really angry. And so, um, so the bear immediately starts letting up, which actually allows, um, you know, the other guy to, to, to draw his sidearm. But his thumb's gone now. On his left hand. Okay. Draw his sidearm with his right and kind of get up while, while discharging around, which was awesome. And I remember thinking to myself after the shot, um, you know, I, I really hope that, you know, that uh, the individual's alive on the other side. And so I remember I kind of looking around the bear and he was standing up and I, you know, like victory, right? Yeah. And immediately followed by, oh shit. <laughs> now, hold on. When he's getting up, you said he discharged a shot too? He also did, yes. At so the, the bear. bear is between you guys. Yes, we shot are, at each other. Is he as considered your location as you were of his location? Um, I think he had um, to be disoriented as hell <laughs> for sure. Uh, honestly, he kept his wits real r- quite quite well. And he's got a um, ten millimeter pistol. You said correct, correct. You know, um, um, the sample size is very small, but uh, there was a statistic floating around after these guys did this sort of meta analysis of all these bear encounters, and it was in context of spray versus pistols. Mm-hmm. Am I? Do you guys remember this? That twenty five percent of the time. A firearm is discharged during a bear attack. It hits a person. Jeez. Wow. Really? That was a lot. That's crazy. Yeah, I can think of like multiple stories of things just in the last few years of that happening. Well, I don't know. But like I said, man, it's like how big is the sand? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know enough yeah, about it. I remember that was just, that was out there, floating around sure, out there. Sure, sure. Um, so so back to the story. So the bear is now charging me. Um, another, you know, he discharged the, other, the, the, the one round. And then I remember trying, um, I, I basically took two steps back and, you know, actually after the incident, I listened to your guys' podcast about you diving out of the way, Steve, and, and um, who is the other individual? Alex, maybe from uh, Alex Mess- Messenger, the, the guy, the canoe guy. He also oh, dove guy. out of yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you guys are crazy to dive out. I, my, my philosophy was get on my back. So I dove to my back. And I had my rifle basically kind of in front of my neck, and, and I stuck out. You know, I, I brought my foot up, and I, my philosophy was kind of a Hail Mary. I'm going to kick it in the face. I'm going to kick in the snout. Because there's no time to rack another round. No. I mean, and, and actually, um, I think subconsciously I tried because, m- like, my, my hand got jammed under my bolt, which was out. So I had pulled the bolt out got it. and hadn't even really been able to drive another round in. And so I'm on my back, and the bear is coming, jaw open, snapping, and, you know, it gets to that last step, and I kick, and it, I just kind of miss. I mean, I, I, I hit something, you know, but I, I miss. I don't really hit anything solid, right? And, um, and the bear now is all of a sudden kind of quartering away and, you know, trying, trying to almost, I don't know, get away or circle around or, or mm-hmm. something, but something happened, right? So, so the other individual follows the bear, you know, gets, um, gets quite close. And when the bear's kind of circling around or, or, or making its way away, um, he's looking at his, his hand, which his thumb is quite, quite mangled. Um, and, and I see his pistol. And so I go and grab that pistol. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not doing round two of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I put three more, um, pop, pop, pop. And, uh. And at this that is all time, happening real quick. Yeah, and at, the bear is not that far away when you in the video. Correct. Yeah. And, and at that time, the cubs were actually, um, and I kind of left that out. The, 
the Cubs almost were near me almost the whole time. And so I am, I'm kind of finishing off the, the bear with the Cubs running past me to go to that sow. Got it. Um, and the bear kind of what was the What was the age, and, age class on the Cubs? Um, so, Cubs of the year or Cubs last year? Uh, no, it was this year's Cubs. Yeah, um, they were real small. Um, and so, yeah, so um, effectively, you know, five rounds are fired. The situation is neutralized. And now it's time to kind of um, attend the the medical situation because that's obviously the, well, the I mean, as So the bear's been shot twice. It runs. You shoot a couple more times. And then it does like piles up like dead or dead or like piles up like and, and then rolls around for a long time. Um, there was no like, you know, like a death moan. People talk about death moans with bears. It really didn't do that. Um, so so just to kind of run through it, you know, in, in fast, you know, in fast motion. So. Maybe one or two seconds before the bear is on top of the other other individual, the bear is shot. You know, probably half a second, second, um, well on top. Um, then immediately charges me. You can imagine how long that took. Maybe a half a second or a second, and then is trying to get away. The three other shots are fired. You know, I grab the pistol, fire three other shots, and the whole event, I would say six to eight seconds okay. from from not knowing there's a bear to firing the last round. Thinking to myself, that did it. Okay. And and I would say the the last round, it kind of just buckled. You know what I mean? It, it. it just, you, you know, when you hit something that you're like, okay, that hurt. Yeah. You know? Um, and so so then the Cubs go and they go and hang out on, on that sow. And, uh, and so then we're kind of addressing the situation. And so um, I go through my pack and... Another mistake. We also, I, I don't have a, uh, I have a uh, first aid kit back at camp, right? I don't have one in my pack, but I do have a spare set of wool socks. And so we kind of put the thumb back in the, the where, it, where it's supposed to be. And, and I wrap one sock around real tight and almost tight, like a, a knot or a splint, and then put the other sock over the top just to kind of apply pressure to the wound. Um, and then obviously keeping it elevated and, and whatnot. Um, pretty much that whole area, we did not have any cell service, mm-hmm. but, uh, actually right on that ridge, um, we were able to, to call 911 and, and, uh, explain the situation. Um, at that time, the, they mentioned the helicopter or the, to get a helicopter, it would, it would have come from Riverton, um, which was a little ways out and they, they couldn't, uh, take off for another hour. So it was, you were talking three to four hours before a helicopter would come and, Really, if you looked at the, you know, the scenery, it, it wasn't really somewhere you could land it nicely. Got it. Let's just say that. So we made the decision to ride out. Um, so um, we contacted the other, a um, couple other folks in the in the hunting party, and they brought the horses down, um, and we rode out, and uh, we were met by a, a mirage of people. That obviously, at the trailhead, um, you know, you got your game and fish. Um, search and rescue teams, helicopter uh, that had landed the trailhead, um, ambulance, so on and so forth. Really? For sure. It was uh, actually, um, this is kind of a funny, Jim Zumbo was there. Um, <laughs> Just to see what's going on? Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing probably on my, my behalf, but another guy that was there was like, hey, do you know who this is? You know, And, and I look at him and I, no, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I did not know who Jim Zumbo was at the time, but... Um, so anyway, I can't say I'd recognize him either. So just there to be like, what's going on? 
Um, he must live nearby, or he, he was on a hunt. Nearby. Uh, yeah, I'm not I know sure. he's in northern Wyoming. Yeah, sure. He's playing the Captain Quint character. Like, when you get there, he's like, I'll catch you a bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, is, is your buddy, real quick, is your is it just his hand that's messed up? Yes. So um, it, it seemed like, from my perspective, that that took a long time, but I think it was quite quick. Um, and, and yeah, um, really, the, uh, the, only, the only real injury is the hand. Um, you know, I had, I actually had a, 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 a little tiny scratch on my, on my shin, which I still have a little bit of a mark there, but from the bear, uh, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. What's that um, tooth or a nail? You know, that, that happened when I tried to kick and it tried to lunge. Um, Are you just hoping it's the bear? Yeah. Could it have been? You gotta have a battle scar. It's a little, it's, it's really, it's, it'll it be me. gone and it'll so be it's gone. Like it's like a puncture. puncture. It's a puncture. Yeah. It'll be gone in six months, right? It's yeah. not really a scar. Uh, but I would go see if someone could help me keep that. <laughs> um, so you, you made it to the trailhead. I'm real curious to know if you're on the hook for the helicopter. <laughs> um, so there was, um, the individual, um, that, that got, that needed the quick medical attention actually had helicopter insurance. Um, so Whoa. not necessarily on the hook, but good timing, I guess. Wow. Did um, he purposely get it for that hunt or did he had it for work he, or something? He had had it for, um, some time before. So, oh. um, you know, you never, you never know when you're going to need it, but, uh. It makes you wonder if I have that. <laughs> Do you have that without knowing it? I wonder, is it like a real specific thing? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think we, we have. Oh, good. That was I, in an email I don't, buried but. somewhere. When he, when you thought he was being eaten, mm-hmm. the bear was on top of him, uh, what was what what's his perspective? What was going on? Um, his perspective was kind of like that it was playing with him like a dog, almost. Really? Yeah. Maul, mauling his thumb. Yeah. Um, so it stayed on his hand as it grabbed its hand, grabbed his hand and pushed him down. It stayed with his hand in, in his mouth. Yeah, his her, hand was in its mouth in the whole mouth. time. In her, yeah, in her mouth. Um, but seconds. Yeah. Um, hmm. Maybe not even plural. Um, but close, you know, um, and and it was, what's amazing is no no claws were used, right? I mean, you'd think that you got the leverage, you're the bear, you got the leverage. (laughs) All you got to do is stretch the, you know, stretch the arm out with one of your claws and you, well, I mean, who knows? She probably would have gotten to that if you hadn't a shot her. Sure. Sure. Um, so, um, so that's kind of the, um, that was the first run through and that was kind of what I had learned and, and I guess, um, went through the first time. Then, then all of a sudden, now it's kind of well. You're bringing now. Now we got to bring the game and fish back um, to to evaluate the situation. Yeah, right? as as everyone would know and and understand. And so, yeah, uh, this just for listeners. This is a the grizzly bear in the Rocky Mountains in Lower Forty Eight is listed as threatened and has Endangered Species Act protections. Which means that um, if you kill one, they're going to make sure that it was legal, and it's like obviously legal to kill one in defense of life. But they're still going to come check it out. And I believe that's the only reason that yeah. you can kill. You one can't in kill it in defense of property, right? Right, or game, or anything yeah. like that. <clears throat> so, um, so we ride in. Um, there's uh, four folks from the state that come in. Um, there's a, a biologist. Um, I think kind of an apprentice. There's a, the, the game warden for that region and then his supervisor. Um, so we ride in about six miles. So it took about, it was about six miles there, uh, one way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ride in six miles. 
Um, and then I, I basically reenact what happened. Um, and, and it was, you know, pretty clear. There was blood trails and, and things like that. And, and actually, when we arrived, um, you know, the Cubs were still there. Um, so we, we, they have to do an investigation. So um, we needed to, you know, remove the Cubs from the from the the sow in order to perform the investigation. Yeah, it's so, in the news that they euthanized the Cubs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I go through. I kind of, uh, you know, run through, reenact my position, reenact the other individual's position, and kind of follow, you know, where the bear had come from and and gone. And you know, the the whole just to kind of paint the the radius for the listeners, you know, um, it starts maybe ten or fifteen yards to 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 my right and ends maybe ten or fifteen yards to my left. So the whole thing, I mean, the whole situation is a thirty yard line. I mean, it's very close quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and one, you're above tree line again, so it's, it's all clear field of view, not a lot of brush, not a lot of deadfall. Th- there is, um, you know, where, where the grizzly died was kind of the beginning of the timber line, but it was a burned area. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it's easy to see, but that's where, so it was, it was kind of a burned area just to paint the picture. Um, and so, um, one thing they wanted is they wanted to find some uh, a brass uh, for the for the investigation, if you will. Um, and so I knew there were five five rounds. Um, the The rifle was obviously the easy one to find, um, and um, we only found one one of the pistol rounds. Mm-hmm. But one of the pi- the one pistol round that we found um, was actually um, kind of covered in blood. <laughs> so the casing was covered in blood, which. Huh. Um, it's kind of interesting and we can kind of, I think I, I have some ideas of, of where that came from. Um, and then, and then the next step in the, the, the investigation, if you will, is to really, you know, go look at the story and then look at, you know, the, the evidence or, or the, I guess the makeup of the bear, right? How, where, how long is this whole like investigation procedure taking? Like, are, um, are they all like detail business oriented like taking their time or um yeah it's pretty thorough yeah. um you know it's obviously it's not something that happens every day i think right. they mentioned that i was the fifth um that year um however it was the first bear recovered yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know if that means that somebody got attacked and got away i don't know and i don't know if that means you know a shot was fired at the bear I, i'm not really sure what that means but um you know the the ride obviously took the longest amount you know you're 12 miles round trip. Um, but the investigation, I mean, it took, you know, hours. Um, and they, so they skinned it right there. Yeah. I, I assisted in that. So, you know, it's kind of, from my perspective, it was kind of, um, you know, it was kind of neat to be a part of that, you know, mm-hmm. cause you know, you, you know how it played out. Right. And then, so then you can see, you know, where the individual bullets landed on that, on that bear. And you can kind of, then start to put the pieces together on like, why did this happen? Why yeah, did it yeah. play out that way? Why did the bear um, change direction and not lunge at me at that last second, right? Um, and so there were some things that were really, really evident. Um, and so skinning out the bear, you know, I mean, I, the, the, the first thing that was remarkable, and it's obvious kind of when you say it out loud now, but the difference in damage from the 300 wind mag to the 10 millimeter, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a high-powered rifle versus a, a handgun, right? So you obviously expect a lot more. But 
So let, let's kind of talk about the the individual bullets, right? So the the shot with the rifle had entered um, kind of upper mid, but the the right side of the the back mm-hmm. of the of the bear, and the exit hole was kind of out near the neck front front right quarter, and the exit hole was quite large. Um, and so that's the first thing that you're kind of like, boy, I'm glad that exit hole didn't, you know, contact anybody. Um, and you know, that's, um, but, um, then, then we kind of started looking for more, more bullet holes just to see, um, you know, play it out. And so zipping out, you know, more of the, more of the hide, um, there were two 10 millimeter rounds that had passed, um, through the kind of almost gut shots really. Um, and you know, when you're shooting a running animal at a couple of yards, <laughs> you never know. We're not going to you know. critique your shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was a, a kind of a, a bit, it was basically a clean pass, you know, kind of, you know, a rear gut shot that kind of came out the other side oh. and then another one that kind of came out the other side. So like kind of quartering away gut shots, if you will, two of those. Passed all the way through. All the way through. Um, and what did there look like there was a lot of trauma there or almost not so much? So those were the, using those like 220 grain Buffalo bore rounds, mm-hmm. which, you know, deep penetration, you know, a lot of, a lot of people talk about deep penetration and whatnot. And one thing in the brain, another thing in the. Right. Um, soft parts. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, you know, originally we found those three shots. And everybody knows they're going to punch it right between the eyes. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. When you're like getting all ready, you're like, oh, I'm going to hit him right in the head. Exactly right. And so, every, we, you know, we found those three shots originally, and, you know, I kind of was thinking to myself, there's got to be more, right? Like, I, I, you know, I, I know we shot five times, and so I kept carving away, and I actually found another one that was almost like dead center of the back in the vertebrae. And it, it kind of, like, got lodged in the vertebrae, and, mm. like, I don't know if it got tracked, you know, like, there's, like, a hollow yeah. area there and kind of got lodged in there. I kind of think that was the one that clammed it up. You know what I mean? Almost paralyzing it. Sure, was yeah. the, the final shot there. Um, but, you know, so so that's really... Um, Did you, you ever know, find the last shot? Um, you know, it could have been on there. Um, it, sometimes it's hard to see through fat. Yeah, um, when there's yeah. not a lot of trauma yeah. and you have just a, a bullet, you know, a bullet hole, um, it's just you're you're searching for a, quite a small target and, you know, we're not really caping this thing out. We're not saving a cape or anything like that. So it's not like it's a nice, clean, yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, I don't get the impression with the the spine shot that you were like, oh, here's this massive broken spine on this bear. No, it was clearly – so that one we found an entrance hole. And, uh, I mean, the Game of Fish had a metal detector, and we were trying to, like, find the bullet and carve it out and whatnot. We never found anything. But hmm. – um, we didn't spend a ton of time on it. We also didn't really have the right tools. They brought a metal detector. They did, yeah. Me and my uh, six-year-old just got a metal detector. Yep. We're going to get into that big time. <laughs> I'll save that for another episode, though. Sure, sure. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so th- those are the, the four bullet holes that we found. There, there could have been another one kind yeah. of in the back or in a fatty area. And are these or... guys taking note of all this stuff? You know, they're taking a lot of pictures and notes okay. and collecting samples and um, doing stuff that's, you know, that I'm not really paying that much attention to. You're, you got to still be a little razzled. Is that a word? Razzled? Yeah. Razzled. I mean, it's the same, same Frazzled, day. Frazzled, that's what I meant to say. Same day. Same Correct. day. Yeah, same day. Long ass day. Uh, it happened right away in the morning. I mean, it happened 
I yeah. think it was like 7.15 a.m. You rode like out, that. rode back in again. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little surprised that they kind of put you back into that situation after they, going, going through that. I would say they didn't put me in that situation. Oh, you offered to yeah, go help? Yeah, for sure. Okay. You know, and, and they weren't, I mean, they, they certainly, actually, they, I got a lot of respect for the, the folks that we worked with. I mean, they were they were very good about it and very did yeah. you professional. Get, and Did you get a sense of like their attitude, like, oh, no, not again, or like they're like, you know, kind of how they felt about the whole, like Grizzlies in general, and um, probably not. But you know, I think they were real professional about yeah. it. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. Nobody likes nobody likes. Um, you know, they they were certainly more excited to investigate a dead bear than a dead human. Sure. You yeah. know? Um The other thing is, it's got to set the mood when you have an injured person. Mm-hmm. Where they're not going into it like, did these guys panic? Sure. He shot it 40 yards away just because mm-hmm. it was looking There's at him. There's a wounded bear. Yeah, you there. got like a wounded dude. So probably you're, you probably go into it not so much with your like, uh, you know, inspector mode, right? Yeah. I, I I was just curious if it's like, oh, these, like if they have oh, an attitude. If they're like, like these, damn, these bears. damn bears. Yeah. These damn at the trailhead, do they split you guys up and get each story? Um,. I mean, it was such a cut and dry story, you know, like, like Steve says, you know, you've got a guy with a, with right. a, with a bite, you know, obviously you're close if you're getting bit. <clears throat> um, I do believe they took a DNA sample of the bite to match it to the bear. Oh, okay. Um, a friend which, of mine who's a journalist. Make sure that you didn't to... bite him. <laughs> right, right. Turns out, yeah. Which... A friend of mine who's a journalist, he was always, when he was interviewing people who were involved in stuff like this, he was always, um, one of the things he would look for is. Anytime someone said, and then I proceeded to, he said that that always sort of like made like a little alarm in his head go off. <laughs> like they had thought about what they're going to say ahead of time. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And then sure. I proceeded to, and he said, you'd be surprised how often you hear that when you're hearing a story that maybe everything doesn't add up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, you know, that, that was, um, that was kind of the investigation. So it was, you know, they took recording of what I, you know, me going through the motions um, you know, the, the bear was kind of dissected, um, and, you know, each shot was kind of analyzed. Now they took a bunch of pictures and documentation and whatnot. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't really know if that was <laughs> my place, you know, uh, per se. Did they impound your weapons? They keep your... No, they no. did not. Um, you know, it... They damn sure impounded your bear hide, right? Um, <laughs> they actually kind of just destroy everything. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I, I respect that. I mean, you know, you're not. Oh, they're oh. taking they're taking the hide, so nobody else does. You didn't get to keep a claw. No, no. Um, no you, you know, it's pretty. They're they're pretty strict about. You know, um, everything's got to be destroyed, yeah. or you know, there's no there's no trophies, right? This isn't yeah, a trophy. But, hey, let me yeah. tell you a quick story. Understand? Let me tell you a quick story. In Alaska, they auction all that stuff off. Hmm. So they have these like personal like uh, bears killed for property defense, mm-hmm. like life and property defense. Sure. Um, when you kill one, you got to submit the hide and skull. Sure. And they have an auction. I know about a guy that skinned his, like he did, he skinned his, like the gutless method and hmm. split it up the back. I don't know why. Okay. He went to the auction. They got all these damn bears and there's only one. Oh, so he could know which one it is. Skinned up. Well, I don't know if he was gaming it at the time. That's just how he did it. Cause they said, bring the hide. So for whatever reason, he, Made a slip up the back and somehow got the hide off the thing. Went to the auction, got his bear. And he said he knew it because, like, who else would do that? 
That's what I heard. I don't know the guy, but I heard the story. It could be like a lie story. I don't think it's a lie story. Yeah. I I do recall um, specifically the skull, right? um, The supervisor there was – and and they all feel really bad about everything, you know? I mean, they're they're super understanding and – yeah, and he was kind of like, you know, I I hate to tell you this, but I need you to to give me the skull. You know, my hands were already dirty, and I, I'm just curious, right? So I gutted it all out and scun a lot of it out, and so I cut the head off for him and handed it to him, and they destroyed it with uh, like hatchets or hammers or something like that, just and, to t- just to destroy value, just to yeah. yeah I mean, which whatever. Did you yeah. end up uh, getting? No, an I age? don't have a problem. I understand all that. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, Cal. You end up getting an age on the bear. Um, you know, there's going to be an official report on it. Um, you know, I'm not able to get my hands on it for, for some time, but, um, I'm, I'm thinking that'll all be in there and I'm, I'm curious to read it for sure. Yeah. No, they're collecting a lot of data for sure. Did the, um, what, what wound up being the, the relationship that you have with the end of the, the guy that was getting his hand mauled up, mm-hmm. um, like, like. What kind of happened when you guys had a chance to talk? Um, you know, it was kind of a sombering, uh, sombering moment for everybody. You know, um, is you know, is uh, is a once in a lifetime experience. Um, you know, I think you we hope. Ha- <laughs> we hope. Um, you know, it, we built a lot of respect for each other. You know, in the way yeah. that the situation was handled, and um, as he uh. Was was is he pretty rattled about it? Was he pretty strong about it? After he was real fact? strong about it. Okay. I mean, okay. um, not afraid, not afraid of the mountains now. No, no. You got um, any different feelings about Grizzly Bear Country um, besides some procedural shit? No. Um, you know, I got a lot more respect for the animal. That's for sure. Um, I I definitely, um, yeah, I, I definitely have a lot more respect for 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 um, grizzly bears and you know my my mentality of um, staying out of those situations and having different equipment and different, um, locations of equipment will, will be, will be changed. Where sure. was your spray? It was on the outside of my pack. Did you ever think about grabbing it? Um, hold on. Like outside of the pack, like unreachable? Reachable. On the waist belt? Uh, like right here. Okay. Did um, you ever think about grabbing it? I didn't. I mean, like in, in hindsight, um, I, I would say... At the moment, the thought process was the rifle is the job. Okay. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, what are you going to blind everybody here and hope for the best? Yeah. You know, um, I didn't spend, I didn't dwell much time thinking, I'm going to go after my bear spray. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, had that been 60 yards out? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I would like to you think. You would have time to think about it. I would think, I would, my, my first choice at 60 yards out in, in that situation would have been bear spray. So knowing what you now know, what would be your, like, what's your bear protection system So the next time you do it? Um, so before that incident, you know, I really, I really had this, um, this, I'll say, I'll say it, false mentality that, you know, if you, if you shot a bear with, let's say like a 45 ACP or something like that, you know, like it would realize that it's, um, it's up against a, a real match here, and it would probably deter it and leave. After shooting it with a 300 Win Mag and watching it charge like a a very pissed off animal, um, uh, bigger the better. <laughs> yeah. For if you have to shoot, 
Um, a first follow-up first... follow question on that. When you guys did the uh, necropsy, did you guys gut it to see when you said that the yeah, where, I, where the path of that three hundred win went? Did it cut? Did you catch vitals on that? I shot? personally gutted it. Um, the heart was fine. The lungs looked fine. The liver looked fine. Really, the intestines, which the bullets passed through, I never even saw split in that. Hmm. So your three hundred win mag round went above the vitals. Above the vitals, yeah. So, um, so it actually didn't happen. We didn't really put this all together till you know. Obviously, then the whole thing's done, right? Now we're the we're back in camp and we're talking about how crazy the event was, and you know, a couple of takeaways there. You know, we we just start talking about um, you know the just the odds of the two, two sets of odds, right? First set, you know, the odds of getting in that situation. Incredibly unlucky to get in that situation, sure. right? Yeah. And, and you know, the only thing I can think of is the bear had winded the carcass and was maybe making its way there and then got like a burst of scent and was starving, ready to eat, and just came ready to, came over that tilltop just ready to eat. Um, so that's obviously very unlucky timing. Had we sit up on that knob for 10 more minutes, you might see Like it had been cross. aware of it and was circling it, <laughs> trying to figure out if it was a big bore in there or whatever. Something, yeah, you know? Sure. Um, it is hard to, um, you'll never know. You'll never know that. But yeah, I and would obviously be obviously like, no stomach <clears throat> contents of undigested elk meat. Oh. Um, that's a great point. I did not open the stomach. Um I don't know mm. if anybody else there did. That would have been interesting. Did you guys um, ever take a look at the carcass afterward to see if it had been messed uh, with? It hadn't been messed it with. hadn't been messed no, with. No, no. Um, but you have, like, you don't have to, but you got to be like, there has to have been some relationship so, between so, the gut pile and the bear. Or is I the think, relationship that predators like to travel on ridgelines, well, and they <laughs> like to travel I, on nicely defined trails, I, you know? Yeah. I would think that the, you know, that, the bear had winded the the carcass and had just been working its way that direction, thinking, yeah. you know, I'm hungry. There's something here, um, and so so I really think that you know that's what kind of brought it to the general vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, the tracks of the animal for the last hundred yards indicated that it knew we were there, and kind of followed us along the backside of that ridge and popped over when we were clo- when it was close and we were close. Really? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like. We stumbled into it, and it was it was defensive. You know, I, it seemed like it was it had smelled us and was starving. You yeah. know, um, a bad news organization would say when the hunter becomes the hunted. <laughs> right. I'll just throw it in there. So, so <laughs> go, going back to going back to what we we're kind of talking about at you know back at camp. You know, the odds of the situation were incredibly unlucky, or low and unlucky, however you want to look at it. Then, once we were in that situation with the bear coming, you know it. 10, 15 yards. I don't know another situation that plays out that ends up better than that. You know, um, when a bear's on top of somebody, yeah. you know, had, had, you know, a shot landed a little bit differently. You know, does it, you oh, know, there's just yeah. a lot like of different. Like it's fang could have punctured his brain pan. It could have like just a, severed its spine with its claw. You could have blo- yeah. blown a hole through the guy. Right. There's just, I, I mean, I look at that and I think. If I redid that nine out of ten times, I think nine of them are really bad. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good. Point. You know, um, your friend uh, said that uh, his perspective was that the bear was playing with him. Mm-hmm. At what point did his perspective change? Did you ever talk about that? Um, I would say after. I mean, once that rifle shot went off, you know, it 
let up, you know, I mean, so then it, it kind of its focus changed um, to coming coming towards me um, and and really, um, you know, kind of cutting putting all those pieces together back at camp actually is when we kind of put it all together where um, what 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 I think happened was, you know, obviously incredible unlucky timing. The bear comes and not really in a hurry, not really threatened, just ready to eat. And so it's kind of taking its time, um, starts doing its job, gets hit in the back. Um, and kind of, you know, the, the rifle shot really rendered the front right useless. I mean, it just, it detached a lot of those muscles, right? Just kind of hamburgered yeah. this area. And then it, it went and turned around and charged full speed. To accelerate, you know, if you kind of look at the anatomy of the animal, it's, it's going to use its hind legs to really drive and start, start running. And what it seemed to me is it went to lunge there at the last second, and it went to my left, which would, would line up perfectly with its right shoulder. Failed. Failed. Yeah. So it basically went to push off. And when it went to push off, one side, you know, just pushed it that direction and it probably swiped, bit, I kicked, we collided in some manner, but not really hard at all. And that was the mental change of the bear for it to realize I've lost some motor skills. Yeah. And, and then it was heading out. And then it was probably trying to get into a safe zone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at that time, I didn't even know if I hit the bear. Sure. You know, I mean, I, I think I did. But I could have shot clean over the top of it. And, you know, I have no idea what's exactly yeah, going I on. I don't, no one knows, as much as we like to talk about it, no one knows what they would do in that situation. I like to think that I would have done what you did and shot some more. <laughs> you've you've passed like, the point of commitment. Unless well, you're like one of these guys that, like, it's, it mauled me. And then it kind of wandered off. And then it came back and mauled me some more, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, it... It was just really an impulse decision. And yeah. looking back, you know, it's kind of like, well, when that bear bites somebody, I think they're probably going to take DNA sample, try and find the bear, and probably put the bear down anyway. You know, I know it's been hit because why else would it not have just completely killed me right there? So you already have an injured animal. Mm -hmm. It's already known to have bite somebody. Let's just finish the job right here. You know, yeah. that was – and I don't even think I went through that process. I think my process was more like – I have no idea how we just came out of that, but I'm not going no. for round two. Survival mode. Yeah. How's your buddy's hand? Uh, I, remarkable. Um, you know, I mean, the doctor kind of mentioned, you know, it, it's infection that really is the problem, you know. Um, and so an hour or more later, that becomes a much different animal. Gotcha. Did, did you notice... This story for another time, but I have a very similar bear circumstance, mm -hmm. and nothing ever happened with it other than bears ran away, but it was related to a ridgeline. It was related to a elk carcass. Mm -hmm. um, did you notice, one of the things that I noticed being that close to bears was the smell of them. Did you, do you have any like in recognition of a distinct smell of a bear? Because that's something that I took away. I was like, holy cow, this the smell of a bear, man, was... You know, I didn't. Um, yeah. I, that that does not come to mind. Yeah. Um, 
It's just that's not yeah. what you're thinking. No, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> let's go smell the roses here. You know, I no. mean, um, you know, it, um, yeah, I, I would say that I, I don't recall a smell from that incident. Yeah. Well, man, I'm glad you're alive. Yeah. Yeah. Give Matt Millard a hug for me. I will. I will. Tell him. Um, tell him that I'm glad he's alive. <laughs> and your buddy, I'm glad he's doing good for sure. For huh. sure. You know, I, I, I got one last question for sure. you. Sure. It's a hard one to answer. Are you glad it happened? Um, you know, the, the experience, uh, obviously when it's a, when it's a, um, when it's a good story, when it ever, what I mean by good is when yeah. everybody came away. Okay. You know, yeah. I mean, some injuries for sure, but you know, nobody, nobody is, you know, crippled. Nobody, you know, n- nothing like that. And so, I mean, I, I definitely appreciate the experience. If you told me, would would you go into, um, w- would you go into that situation again? And um, how, how do I word this? Um, the same scenario doesn't necessarily play out, but you get to redo that situation. Yeah. I would say no. Yeah. Absolutely not. If someone's like, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but a bear will be on somebody. Yeah, I, I would absolutely not <laughs> yeah. do that again um, because I think that the probability is so low of the outcome that we got yeah. um, that, that, is, that, it, that that wouldn't be worth it for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, being, the prob- being that, you know, the, the outcome that we got, um, I, I can appreciate the experience for sure. Sure. Um, you know, I think one thing that, you just never consider, and you know this is every bear story is unique, you know, obviously, um, but you know this one's unique for different reasons. And the one thing that you know you mentioned, everyone thinks, oh, I'll shoot square in the eye, you know, square in the square between the eyes, you know, and um, you know the one thing that I never considered was not only am I not going to be able to like get a good shot, but there there's there's instances out there where you can. Like, actually not shoot the vitals. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I would have loved to put that bullet and gave that bear a Texas heart shot. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and hope for, you know, blow out everything But you're shooting inside. around your partner. Right. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that, that's, that really changes the game. Um, just because ha- had you been using a much smaller caliber, for instance, let's say I did have a sidearm there. I would have gone for the sidearm just out yeah. of habit and that's what you think you should do and you could probably get more shots off and so on and so forth but you might be pretty scratched up right now too yes then. Yeah. i mean that sidearm's not going to take that quarter out you know yeah. uh, it might it may do something differently but i, I don't think that you know the sidearm is going to turn hamburger into a quarter of that bear and render render that part of the bear useless yeah i wish we had these little wards that said uh the Meat Eater Podcast Nerve of Steel Award. I'd, well, give, you, I'd give you one. Well, I, I sure don't think you would because, you know, all the That's listeners awesome. are going to hear that video and see what the <laughs> yeah. Nerve of Steel feels like. <laughs> A best possible outcome certificate. Yeah. yeah. Sure. This I'll certifies take, I'll take that, one. that you got the best possible outcome. In the world of probabilities. <laughs> That that one that one I'll take. Um, I, I got a guy I work with that always uses the line. I'd rather be lucky than good. Sure, that's one of those for sure. That's what, how you're feeling right now. That's one of those for sure. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Um, very instructive.
it reinforces uh, my primary theory about bear attacks. Having never uh, is uh, well, I think it sums like I'm quoting Joe Rogan, who's quoting someone else, which is um, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> That's very Mike Tyson. That was that Mike Tyson. I just remember hearing it from him. But yeah, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Very accurate statement. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, John. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized job site or out in the field go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping go to deck.com slash meat eater get yourself some free shipping hey if you follow wildlife news at all you're probably aware that the island of maui has an incredible abundance of axis deer so much so that they're causing ecological damage well maui nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.